Hello, and welcome back to TMLT's podcast, TrendsMD. I'm your host, Tony Pasolacqua, and today I'm welcoming back our special guests, Lauren Winchester and Joel Furman from Corvus Insurance to discuss cybersecurity. I also have our co-host, Juan, from our IT department. TMLT is working with Corvus Insurance, an insurance technology firm, to provide our policyholders with a more robust cyber risk management. Every TMLT policyholder will have a security scan of their website conducted by Corvus to detect any cyber vulnerabilities. Corvus will then provide each policyholder with their individual report identifying any risks found and how to mitigate them. Reports will be provided on our My Portal member website for download. If you are a policyholder and want more information about how we are working with Corvus, please contact customer service at 1-800-580-8658. In part one of our conversation, we discussed what proactive risk management measures there are to take for cybersecurity. In this podcast, we'll discuss reactive risk management. So what I like to think of as reactive risk management is when everything's starting to go wrong. And so now you're kind of moving into more of a direction of reacting to an event versus trying to be proactive. So one of the first questions I always like to ask everybody is, is it possible to protect yourself against every cyber attack? Uh, Warren, what do you think? Probably not, but that shouldn't deter you from trying. You know, I think there you can talk about the proactive risk management. So what are you doing on the front end to try and protect your systems? We talked about a couple of things already that were really key. And I have a couple others to highlight as well, um, you know, especially specific to the kind of the ransomware threat and, and what we see. But when you talk about reactive, what you're really looking towards is, is what's our company's ability to mitigate once the threat actors in the system in order to mitigate the impact of that, right? And so if we start with that, it's about how are we, A, early identifying that there is a threat actor in our system, right? What tools do we have in place for this early identification, including user training, right? So users, do you see any odd behavior on your computer? If so, is there a culture and good training that's um, embedded within that user to know I need to alert help desk. We also talk about different threat detection software, right? So what type of software is sitting on your endpoints to help identify threats? Now the new buzzword is EDR, endpoint detection and response. Really great tools that are basically antivirus software on steroids because they have um, the benefit of AI and machine learning that basically says this user is acting strangely. That's not how this user normally acts. I'm going to stop this process that's trying to run. And what that process might be is a, a threat actor trying to launch encryption, right? So having a tool that identifies that as anomalous behavior and actually stopping it is wonderful. Um, and you can also look to tools on the network level as well to identify you know, odd user behavior. This admin doesn't normally log in at 3 a.m. and try and move laterally to different systems. I'm going to cut off their access, or at least I'm going to alert on that so that the real users can identify that and shut down that account. So all this to say, there are tools that can be purchased that can really help in early identification of threats and even potentially stop threat actors. But they're only as good as who's looking at it, who's monitoring it. And if we're talking about small companies, small healthcare practices, 
you know, your ability to have a whole 24-7 SOC, Security Operations Center, probably uh, probably not going to have that, right? So it's about identifying a really good managed ser uh, security services provider who has a 24-7 SOC that's helping you monitor your EDR um, and being your partner in security that might be able to help you catch that. The other thing is putting in roadblocks for the attacker. So when a threat actor gets into your system or has credentials, all they want to do is try and escalate or elevate their privileges to get the keys to the kingdom. So they're trying to go after admin credentials, administrator credentials. And if you protect admin credentials with MFA, if you have good security practices where you're not reusing credentials and you have really good protections and controls around those credentials, you're going to make it harder for a threat actor. They're going to have to put in a lot more time to try and get the level of access that they want to your systems. And they may stop where they're at and move on to some lower hanging fruit. And then when we also talk about mitigating against a threat actor, particularly in the ransomware context, how good your backups are, how recent they are, um, and how well protected they are will really be what saves you in that circumstance as well. So not just having a backup strategy and thinking you've got good secure backups, really thinking through do we have multiple copies of backups in different media and one of which at least is off-site, offline, so that if a threat actor gets in and starts encrypting data, they A, can't get to at least one version of our backups and they can't delete them or encrypt them as well. Because if they can, you're between an Iraq and a, and a hard place um, and you're, you're potentially going to have to pay a ransom. Over the, the course of my 11 years of doing this, you know, the response to that question, you know, can we protect from every attack? I think, I think the, the response has changed, you know, done a 180. Um, when I first started doing this, you'd see, you know, the CISOs of, of the world, you know, basically say that they would take offense to even looking at like a cyber liability product, because, uh, you know, if I'm doing my job, then this isn't necessary, you know, and we have all these measures in place. And, and so that's not going to happen now that we've seen some very sophisticated attacks, nation state attacks, zero day vulnerability, you know, exploitations, things like that. I think just about everybody, you know, every CISO would, would say, no, we can't protect from every attack. We can mitigate, we might be able to, um, to, to even eliminate the damage that can be done, but no, we can't, we can't protect from every attack. I think that's the, the, the response that, um, you know, that, that you'd hear more often now, and, and that's the correct one. So how important is it to have, like, let's say a, a response plan? So we were talking a little bit about like the backups, and uh, we were talking a little bit as well about different CISOs and, and individuals like that who are saying, you know, if I'm not doing my job appropriately, then you shouldn't have really anything to worry about as long as I'm doing my job appropriately. Uh, is What's kind of your advice to those individuals? Is there any way for you to kind of um, bring those topics up in a way that may help them to understand that it's not necessarily a question of if you'll ever get breached, but it's a question more of when are you going to possibly get breached? Yeah, I think um, that's a great point, right? Um, though I will say the more and more information security folks that I talk to nowadays, 
they're, I, I'd say that they're, they're all more aware that everybody's a target. It's, they can have the best tools, and, but it is really a matter of uh, when. But um, yeah, I think talking about incident response planning is really key and also required, right? With, especially within healthcare. Uh, HHS is definitely going to be looking to see if you had an incident response plan in place if you were the victim of a cyber attack and they're investigating, right? So um, really key to look at this from not only a need to have it from a compliance standpoint, but but there's a reason you need to have it. It's very useful to have thought through this. The action of building your incident response plan, your business continuity plan, and your disaster recovery plan, just going through that exercise will highlight so many things to your organization that are needed that it's the exercise in and of itself that's going to help you fare so much better should you be the victim of a cyber attack. So when we talk about incident response planning, what's really key to that is who's on your incident response team, what stakeholders within your organization would be involved should you have an incident, uh, and what are their roles during that incident, and start to, to talk through it as a group. What are our roles? What will we be doing? Put pen to paper about that. Um, and you may have ancillary members of the incident response team that, you know, if employee data is involved, we're going to involve someone from HR on the team. And every company listening, you know your organization best, you know your stakeholders best. So you can determine who's going to be involved in it. And making sure you don't silo just to ITIS, because there are certainly within healthcare incidents that involve, um, you know, paper that involve people speaking in elevators about patient data, right? So it's not always going to necessarily be a, a data breach that was related to the um, computer systems. And so the incident response plan needs to respond to more than just computer system attacks. And then when we talk about business continuity planning and disaster recovery planning, that obviously has meanings outside of cyber attacks for healthcare organizations. However, at all, both of those plans should absolutely envision or work within the cyber context as well. So whether our EMR goes down because of a failed update or it goes down because a threat actor is in it and we need to turn it off has the same implications for how are we going to um, how are we going to conduct patient visits? How are we going to continue operating? Um, and so there, there needs to be that discussion of whether it's cyber attack or some natural disasters or something else, how are we going to, to recover? So again, it's really, I think, more the exercise of going through those discussions that really prepare an organization, not just the, the form and the template that you're using. Yeah, and just again, just for any of our listeners out there, again, who are policyholders, um, one of the biggest things I would love to just re-emphasize here is those security risk assessments that I've talked about. Uh, those actually um, cover such areas such as contingency plans, backup plans, data breaches, like what would you do in the event of a data breach and an emergency plan. And for um, anyone who's out there, this isn't just for cyber related events. It could be for natural disasters as well. And so um, those different areas that we usually cover is uh, pre-breach, planning for emergencies, what to do during an attack, and then planning for the post-breach. And so that, that kind of brings me to the cyber insurance side. 
I know a lot of people are, are usually a little hesitant when they hear cyber insurance and, and it's kind of like this new concept for, for some individuals to kind of think about. But uh, would, would either of you want to cover uh, cyber insurance, such as how and when to use it? You know, I think it's just this notion of cyber insurance can be so much more than just the risk transfer. So, um, you know, you can look to your cyber insurance partner to say, how else can you be helping us, right? So here we've got our in-house scan, we're doing vulnerability alerting, we're sending you scan reports, and we're really viewing ourselves as, as a partner in your cybersecurity planning, your incident response planning, um, and then we're here to help you should the worst thing happen and you need to respond to an incident. Um, you know, a lot of these, these incidents that Lauren made a, a reference to it earlier, you know, they can just be that like conversation in, in, in the elevator that is, you know, out of HIPAA compliance. It can be uh, a box of files that, that went missing, you know, backup tapes that went missing, th things like that. It's not just related, you know, to a hack. It's, it's, uh, it deals with privacy in, in general. So anything that you want, wouldn't want to be disclosed publicly, that's kind of the design, the, the fundamental design of, of cyber insurance. And, uh, you know, if we go, you know, back seven, eight years ago, you know, ransomware wasn't as common. Yes, we were still, you know, seeing hacks, but over half of the incidents um, that we saw were were those kind of things. They were accidental disclosure, people sending out mailings to alumni or you know members or what have you, and the, the mailing label would have a social security number on it because there, there was a you know bad mail merge that happened. So th there are all kinds of privacy incidents that that still happen today. I know that you know the hacks and the ransomware get the you know get the headlines, but you know don't forget that that all those things are still important. They can still result in in fines and penalties third-party lawsuits, and, and a cyber policy is, is built for that kind of exposure as well. So now that we have been talking about hacking, so we know that hacking is opportunistic and logical. So, and I don't know if you guys are aware of the uh, cyber kill chain. Do you guys have a step on, along the way of that kill chain that you guys enjoy the most? I like the first step. So do you guys have a specific uh, step, the cyber kill chains that, that you guys enjoy? Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same camp as you where um, I like to try and understand the initial points of entry that threat actors are using and um, work with policyholders to shore up their systems against that. So um, if we know these are the main attack vectors, how do we make sure that policyholders are not the low-hanging fruit, not the easiest um, ins, right? Um, but I think the more challenging part of the kill chain to tackle is that detection piece, because the quicker a company can detect an intrusion, the better their potential outcomes, especially if they're able to detect it and start to take some action before the threat actor has launched ransomware before they've really fully realized the benefit of the banking trojan they've dropped, right? Um, but that's more challenging um, and something that is harder to solve for on the insurance end. Um, you know, how much desire do companies have for us to, you know, 
get a free tool for them to download and utilize, right? Um, it gets more invasive. And so we haven't really played in that space yet. And, and really all we can do is recommend different tools and controls to put in place to, to try and speed up that detection time. But there's so much to solve for um, at the front end with uh, what are these initial points of entry that that's where I've been playing the most right now. For me, I'd say exfiltration is is the uh, the part that kind of fascinates me the the most. Um, I spoke you know, about five years ago. I spoke to uh, somebody at you know, one of the most sophisticated um, computer forensics and, and security companies in the world, um, and you know he was telling me that he he knows there will be vulnerabilities that one point or another would allow for intrusion into their company. What they can do from there is is you know that's extreme. That's what we've been talking about, right? Is all these these other controls, but you know his fear was the ex, was exfiltration. Right? You, you don't um, you know once that once that data is pulled off your system, you definitely have a breach. Um, you know the traditional model would be you know, steal that data and then sell it on the on the dark web. Now you don't even really need to steal it. Um, because uh, you could, you know, you can launch encryption software, but uh, they often still do now. So, so the majority of these ransomware attacks that we see, they're pulling data off the system, and um, you know, being able to to stop that, detect that, um, may tell you, you know, that you maybe that's when you find that you have an incident. Like that is your discovery piece. So that that exfiltration component is something I've always been fascinated by. My last and most favorite question to ask everybody on the way out the door is if you had to leave one piece of advice to our listeners out there, um, what would it be? Lauren, you can go ahead and take first stab at that one. Great question. Um, one piece of advice. I, I would have said MFA all day, but I think um, even more important is know where your data is go through having a business impact assessment or a security assessment, understand where the data is that you're trying to protect, what your users are doing with that data, so that, because if you don't know where it is, you can't protect it. I think, you know, having somebody either within your organization or without the organization that really understands this, understands the importance, understands what needs to be done and what your budget is, is extremely important. You know, unfortunately, there aren't enough of those folks to to go around. They're very, uh, you know, valuable commodities. And so, if that's if you can't, you know, find and retain a person that's responsible for that, or if your organization, you know, organization size doesn't permit it, then find a partner that that does get it. So, go and find that partner if if you can't bring that person in house. I think that's the one piece I would I would leave folks with. Great. Yeah. And for any of our policyholders out there, um, if your information is not updated, please contact our 1-800 number and talk to one of our customer service technicians. Uh, they can go ahead and um, set you up so that everything is in alignment. So when it's your turn to be scanned, uh, your information will be current and updated. Um, so thank you very much for listening to our podcast. If you're a policyholder, please feel free to contact us with any questions by calling one 800 5808658 or check out our resources at tmlt.org and click on our resource hub. Thank you both. Thank well, you thanks, so much. Thanks everybody. Thanks for having thanks, us. Guys.